Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm one of those guys. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm the other guy, Adam Pranica. Well, I'm licking my wounds after my drubbing on the last episode, Adam. Yeah? <laughs> Feeling pretty burned there? I, I don't know. Did, would you say that one of us actually came out like as a victor or anything? Well, I would say that it probably doesn't feel good to be negative. Like, just in general. Yeah. It's easier to be negative than positive, but I think it's less rewarding, ultimately. Yeah. I think it was a fun experiment. I had fun. I I honestly, like, ended recording that episode feeling like, wow, that was, like, more fun than I thought it would be. Yeah. I I kind of liked bumper bowling our arguments a little bit. And it's fun to, like, have an excuse to go on a rant. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like those. Yeah, so it, it feels it feels good and cathartic to be rantful from time to time. Yeah, like I I don't know if next season we'll rejigger the game or like change anything about how how the game works or like change change out squares if we think like one was less successful or not. But I'd argue for keeping that one. Uh, certainly, I could see it looking better and functioning better. The game <laughs> we're talking about changes. But the game itself and the squares on it, I think, are fun. Yeah, somebody sent us a way to make the game look better, and I just have been so busy, I haven't had time to to do that. Yeah, dude. I I know what you mean. Busy season. Yeah. This is really, uh, uh, like, when you're a a professional video person, uh, the winter really is a thing that is not good for business. And uh, now, as soon as you get into spring and summer, uh, the phone starts ringing. Yeah, you know, I've uh, honestly had kind of the opposite. Oh no, in my career. Yeah, word, like the word summer, got out for you. The summer has tended to be a quiet time for me, and I usually get good work over the winter. I don't know. I, everybody else says the winter sucks and the summer is great, and I've hmm. uh, I've never felt like that. Hmm. Well, uh, maybe L.A. will prove to be different. Maybe. Maybe I'll get out of video production entirely and focus on this podcasting game. Boy, we sure could use a full-time employee, Ben, that's for sure. (laughs) I would love for that to be you. (laughs) That is a very self-serving thing to say. Do you want to do like a card bit or something? Do you want to do anything with this, Marin, or are we just going to sit here and talk about our jabs? Yeah, I don't think anyone wants to hear about job talk. One thing we haven't done in a long, long time, uh, I feel like, is do a card bit, but we have a couple of card bits available to us. We have uh, the the competitive card game, the card war, and then right. we also have these new Star Trek Deep Space Nine cards, Ben. Do you have a preference? Honestly, like having having lost so badly last time, I'm, I kind of want a victory. I want to feel victory. And so... So I kind of want to go for for war. All right, I agree. Let's do it. We're at war. There's been no formal declaration of war. Maybe this trick will bring us some luck. That nonsense is centuries behind us. War! Go to war! I have a stack of turned up cards here, Ben, but I don't remember who is in the lead. This is 
pretty fucking typical scorekeeping by us. Uh, <laughs> like, we come up with an idea, we go so far as to, like, gamify it, and right. then we, st- we don't keep track. Yeah, the board game, we are, I'd say, z- 0 for 10 on having th- the game piece on the right square on the Monday that the episode comes out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're like so many brilliant minds, Ben. <laughs> we're good at the first part, but uh, but not the implementation. Yeah, the uh, the follow through. That's where we fail. Yeah. Uh, are you ready to flip your first card? I I was born ready, baby. Three, two, one. Ben, I have Hype Six Shuttlecraft. It Whoa. is a it's a Previa. It's the updated Previa, I should say. A modern Federation shuttle with warp capability may be armed for special missions. Ben, we never got an armed version of a shuttlecraft on TNG. It's uh, interesting, like, I mean, like, almost all other sci-fi franchises, if they have a big ship with little ships that come out of it, they're yeah. fighters. And right. TNG, they're just vans. You often get this with the toy version of the show, like, like things get weapons that they never got on the ship. Yeah, but, and, yeah uh, the, uh, the Previa shoots, like, missiles out of the <laughs> nacelles or something. Yeah, our, uh, our card daddy sent us one of these shuttles, uh... And uh, it said on the box that it was it was armed as a yeah. as a little ship. <laughs> I should say our card daddy's Bill Tilly. Our card daddy Bill Tilly sent us uh, one of these models. Well, my card is for Tomek, who I'm sure you will remember as an engineer, recreation of a male Romulan alien entity, assumed this body in 2369. Oh, this is the little boy that was. Uh, Friends with Riker in the cave, right? Is it? I think so. Yeah, like he... He was like a little gray alien that lived in a cave and had enough uh, hollow technology to convince Riker he was taken prisoner by Romulans. You know what I'm getting uh, here? I just flipped through the cards that I've opened already. Uh, A lot of T names for Romulans, yeah? Yeah, and a lot of S names for Vulcans. Yeah. It's a bit of a thing. It is. Um, well, Tomek has an integrity of four, a cunning of seven, and a strength of six. Yeah, but what's his range, though? <laughs> yeah, does he have warp capabilities? Uh, Fuck! I don't know. I feel like range of six might have him beat. I guess Tomek uh, is going to... He's going to lose this round. I think Tomek's getting bombarded from orbit from this Type 6 shuttlecraft. (laughs) You want to go again? Yeah, let's flip him over. Three, two, one. I have Torin, a Klingon science officer trained in the field of science, studied the effects of warp propulsion on subspace with an integrity of seven, a cunning of six, and a strength of six. Ben, unfortunately, uh, you are going to be defeated again. Damn it, what? For I have Reva. (laughs) Ginger Jesus himself, uh, he has integrity of six, cunning of eight, and a strength of three. Uh, One interesting note about this man, uh, the man who plays him, his name is, uh, let's see, his Howie Sego. And uh, this guy's going to be in town in Seattle. He's doing a 
deaf version of Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, I read something about this. Yeah, he's at the Twelfth uh, Avenue uh, Theater. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So this I, guy's it's, still it's supposed like, to be like something that you can watch and enjoy, whether or not you are able to hear, right? Right, right. This guy evidently has not lived down this <laughs> this role because it it basically is the first paragraph of the story <laughs> about about this new theater production. So good job, uh, Howie Sego. A guy who played a character with a dick valet <laughs> over th- 30 years ago. <laughs> Please, mounting any, a produ- <laughs> anyone in Seattle who goes to this show, do not mention the dick valet to Howie Sego, okay? <laughs> no, that would, be, that would be very uncool. <laughs> that would make you an enemy of DeSoto. Um, uh, two to nothing, Ben. Well, I so I got to argue the point a little bit though because right. I, th- I think numerically it sounds like my guy wins I don't disagree that uh, that I mean you could point to the scoreboard and go and like I would accept that yeah but I think uh, I don't know sometimes wins and losses alright best aren't... of five we'll, we'll do best of five <laughs> three with, with, with you out to a commanding lead three two one I have a dilemma, <laughs> and uh, this is a classically weird Star Trek thing. The dilemma is female's love interest. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it says, a female away team member, random selection, runs off with lover to furthest planet where she remains. <laughs> Can be rescued later, discard dilemma. Uh, and it is the genetically engineered leader once romantically involved with Deanna Troy. I guess this is that planet with the, you know, perfectly engineered society with Ron Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Who could forget Ron Canada? No, can't and- forget Ron Canada. And, and we can't forget that Ron Canada has his own drop. He's like one of the minorest characters to have his own drop. I love that we have we have like above the title characters who have gone dropless for years, <laughs> and we we give Ron Canada master <laughs> master of only a handful of eps. That's how much we love Ron Canada. Ron Canada carried that episode, made that episode memorable. Yeah, one of the greats. What's your card, dork? You're gonna, you're gonna love going up against event gaps in normal space. <laughs> uh, the picture depicting that gap, though. Yeah, mind the gap, Ben. Uh, the picture depicting these gaps is that woman who sunk through the floor on uh, oh, in no. that Enterprise hallway. Yeah, pockets of space such as those in the Maroscura Nebula dangerously phase out when coming in contact with the ship. You place this card between two other mission cards, and it creates a gap with a span of four, Ben. Ship stopping on the gap kill one personnel, and it's a random selection. This is a real, like, Russian roulette in space situation. Well, what do you think, Adam? Which wins? Russian roulette in space or a guy who is friends with Ron Canada? I think, uh... And probably banged Troy. Nearness to Ron Canada wins to me. And so (laughs) I I say the score now is two to one. Okay. Flip him over again? Yeah. Three, two, one. Oh, you you done it now, Ben. I have the Feklar card. <laughs> a strength of fifteen. I don't think we've Whoa. seen a strength 
a strength score that high. Cunning of one, though. I mean, I, I guess I... I guess I see that. He's not going to be Fickler very cunning. Fickler is, is, not, is not about tricking people. <laughs> he's, just about, he's just about terrifying people. A Fecklar leaves like a trail of snot behind him wherever he goes. Not the most <laughs> cunning. Surprisingly, an integrity of six. I suppose oh, yeah, you, yeah. Uh, Fecklar you t- is a man of his word. <laughs> Fecklar, uh, you, you, you get what you get with Fecklar, and I think that's why you got to respect him. Well, Adam, you are not Fecklar. I think I might have this one. Shut up. My, sec- my, my second card this game, also a friend of Ron Canada. I got Hannah Bates, genetically engineered scientist from Moab 4, granted asylum aboard USS Enterprise in 2368 with an integrity of six, a cunning of eight, and a strength of two. I cannot believe I'm losing this game to the friends of Canada. <laughs> this is so irritating. <laughs> Fecklar should be unbeatable. Strength of 15. Yeah, except for not friends with Ron Canada. Except I check. concede my own rule has fucked me, Ben. <laughs> Nearness to Ron Canada has defeated me twice in a row. Yeah, if and also we got a- to use that Ron Canada drop a couple more times. If you pull Ron Canada as your third card... <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to play this game again. Oh, man. The stakes is high, Adam. Let's flip them over. <laughs> Three, two, one. I did not flip over... did not flip over Ron Canada, Adam. And uh, my card here is an event. It is a space dock. It's that kind of crab type of space dock, and it's got a oh, yeah. Del Sol-class starship in its grips. Mm-hmm. Plays on outpost, instantly repairs your damaged ships if they stop here, also repairs non-aligned ships. That sounds like a card that's hard to beat because it's such a big thing. But I've got something bigger, Ben. God damn it. It is the entire Federation. (laughs) (laughs) My, My card is Federation. Earth is a member of the United Federation of Planets and the Federation establishes outposts throughout its territory. Oh, boy. Seed one if playing Federation or build later at any location where a Federation engineer is present. So this is an outpost card. So I guess it's not it's not the entire Federation. It's a Federation outpost. Shields of 30, it says. So I guess, I guess the decision we have to make here is this, if an outpost outpoints the, the Crab Claw dry dock situation. Yeah. Card. That's weird. So it's like... I guess in the actual way to play this game, this would be a way to like have a have a planet that you can land on. Yeah, it looks like it because the picture is is Federation headquarters. Right. Hmm. I don't know, Adam. I feel like this is kind of a draw, and we need to get another card out to determine an actual winner. If it's too close to call, I say we draw again. Okay. Three, two, one. Oh man. I have uh, Fleet Admiral Shanti. <laughs> Fleet Admiral Shanti authorized the blockade of Romulan forces covertly supporting the Klingon Civil War in 2368 with an integrity of nine, a cunning of six, and a strength of four. Fleet Admiral Shanti's great. She's got real, like, CCH Pounder vibes. I love yeah. her. She's got a ton of gravitas. And one of the great admirals. Most, most admirals are pieces of crap. 
Yeah, she's not giving. She's not roundhouse kicking anybody in their quarters. <laughs> she's not tossing anybody through a glass table. She's not getting invited over for tea and then not drinking that tea. Mm-hmm. She has no. She has no nubbin. Ben, I have uh, Vacor. Uh, she is the lady who was on that uh, on that crabby ship. Remember when uh, when Picard had to go undercover as an archaeologist? Mm, yeah, and they, were, and they were they were looking for that Vulcan weapon. Yeah, and there was like a Tel Shiar or not Tel Shiar, but there was like Vulcan Secret Service lady in there, right? Yeah, but when Picard was known as Baran, they were right. uh, they were trying to find that stone. She's representative of female mercenaries operating throughout the galaxy. Uh, integrity two, cunning seven, strength six. Well, it feels good to win something, Adam. <laughs> Fair enough, Ben. <laughs> Nicely done. Congratulations on your victory. A Canada-aided victory. Uh, yeah. It should be known. Canada-aided, Canada-abetted. Canada, one of the great allies. Yeah. Gotta get me that Canada. I wondered if if Ron Canada doesn't have a card in the uh, collectible card game. That's just a real travesty. Yeah. Yeah. Should we... Boy, our Marins have really just gotten so extravagantly long. <laughs> We're really luxuriating in this Marin. Every time I hear like a real podcast professional talk about like podcast structure, they're like, a lot of podcasts fall into this trap of just talking about nothing for the first 10 or 20 minutes, and it really turns off new listeners. We're doing this at the new listener. <laughs> we don't have any new listeners, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> no no one's going to dial up as their very first episode. Season 2, episode 12, The Alternate. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Quark is running a little scammeroonio, as he is wont to do, here on Deep Space Nine. He's uh, selling hockey pucks with body parts of a guy who isn't even dead. A small piece of the man that brought holographic entertainment to the most remote parts of the quadrant. This is one of uh, a couple of times that we've already seen the sale and distribution of, of the cremains of the Ferengi. And, yeah. uh, and unlike the last time we saw this depicted, uh, you get a nice, nice uh, storage case if you yeah. have a bunch of these pucks. little sales pitch from Quark, and there's some... Some interested, they they look like the Ferengi that work for him, right? Yeah. So do they just pay him back in Quark's Bar script? It's impossible to know and they don't tell us. Yeah, they don't. And uh, it is not long into this pitch before Quark draws the attention of Constable Odo. Oh, Mr. Bunkin? Who is, is, is playing it actually being interested in purchasing one of these pucks initially. Uh, sort of like... Darkly mentions his interest of of making a display case full of dead Ferengi, and <laughs> up to and including like a place of honor for Quark. Yeah, when when Quark goes, Odo wants to be the first person to to get his hands on the puck. In any other context, with any other two characters, I think that would be deeply upsetting. That would be like a reportable th- threat to. Quark's life, right? Like he could, yeah. he could take that to the authorities. But Odo is the authorities. The thing that I'm feeling at after experiencing this scene is that, like, they're the type of friends 
that go hard at each other with jokes. <laughs> like they 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 d- use cut downs as a as a friend making tool. Yeah, it's kind of like how the text message thread between you, me, and John Roderick every like three or four weeks, somebody will check in and go like, "Are we really fighting, or are we still just dunking on each other?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we really take some bats to each other in that text thread. It's good stuff. It's uh, boy, if some of that stuff ever got out, <laughs> we've done work finding where each other's soft spots are. Yeah, you know, you don't want that becoming public knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely do not want those soft spots to get out, Ben. No. <laughs> um, I don't want to show anyone my whole soft spot. No, yeah, yeah. You keep that soft spot to yourself. So, yeah, it turns out that the uh, this Ferengi plague, whose uh, who's pucks Quark is attempting to move, you know, rumors of his death are, have been exaggerated, and... Uh, Personally, I'm very excited for this thread to be paid off. Right. <laughs> uh, Quirk actually pretty deftly plays the like, oh, well, I bought it in good faith. I, I didn't know I was receiving undead property. Hmm? And the question of like who whose body this actually is is also like a fun a fun thing to speculate on. Yeah. Yeah, you want to know. It's like, uh, you know, going to a sushi restaurant and thinking you're getting, you know, tuna and it's really some other cheaper kind of fish. Like if you genetically sampled the, the meat inside these hockey pucks, what, what would the result be? I demand an investigation. You'll get one. I promise you. It would seem that Quark has this ability. He just chooses not to, to use his diligence his due diligence to confirm the identity of, of the cremains. Right. Which is, uh, you know, in court, like that would, uh, that would be a significant factor. Right. Like that he didn't in fact inspect the site before he built his, uh, his hotel or whatever. Bursting <laughs> onto the scene as a stranger that we don't know yet, but we come to know as Dr. Mora Paul. Odo. And there's a familiarity that he has with Odo right away. A familiarity in that they have the same haircut. Yeah. And complexion, even. Yeah, it's weird. Like, Odo uh, makes a big show in this episode of being uh, perturbed by, like, like at best perturbed by the presence of Moripol and wor- at worst, like, actively hating him. And yet, he's designed his whole look after Moripol. I mean, I'm on Team Odo here throughout like the doctor does that thing to him the entire episode of like overly praising him (laughs) like odo you did such a great job talking to that person back there almost like a normal person your ears are really coming along i mean you're not nailing them but they're (laughs) tricky you know it'd be a challenge for anybody yeah yeah not fun uh this guy this guy's played by james sloyan Ben, and his voice is a dead giveaway for how we should know him. Are you familiar with his work? He was the uh, he was the Romulan ambassador that defected, right? He was, yeah. Or admiral, not ambassador. And he played time-traveling Alexander Roshenko in Firstborn. No shit. Yeah, so he's kind of a Star Trek, that guy. He's got a great yeah. voice. He almost has a Robert Logja voice, and I think I mentioned that when we watched The Defector. It's really he, great. He, He's he's great. He's he's got a 
I mean, like, this is not a melancholy character for a lot of this episode, but there's a a melancholy in his voice that I think kind of gets paid off toward the end. And it was that, it was that melancholy that reminded me of his uh, portrayal of the Romulan admiral who, you know, reminisces about Romulus and how he'll never see his family and never see his his home ever again. The Valley of Chula. I know it well. Chula! That, like, profound sadness that he really brought to that character, I think, is a real talent of this guy's. I really think he's great. And he seems to get, like, a lot of multi-part Star Trek actors, I mean, they have varying degrees of, of character quality that they're given. Yeah. But uh, this guy gets a lot of toothsome roles, and he, yeah. and he does a great job with them. He'll play a nice juicy Star Trek. Yeah. His character here, Dr. Paul, asks questions of Odo that feel very much like the questions that we've been asking from the start. And I really like this. Yeah. He just launches in with like, so is your uniform you or something? <laughs> and uh, so like, are you wearing boots or not? Like he he has just great pedantic questions. Yeah. It's like you're going around barefoot and yet you aren't going around barefoot. Yeah. Like, like how do you wash yourself? Like, where do you sleep? Like, all of the questions that we've had from the start are great. And unfortunately, Odo, uh, Odo chooses not to answer most of them. Or if he does, he gives like the briefest possible answer to them. Not satisfying. It's he sort of little, blows this guy off. Yeah, a little unsatisfying. He's, he's basically ready to, like, to say, like, well, thanks for coming, but uh, I have no interest in spending any more time with you. And, uh, and then he is drawn in because Moropole is there for reasons adam (laughs) this starts uh, a relationship between them that is as much physical as it is dialogue based i think uh rene abergenois uh (laughs) does awesome physical acting in Uh, this uh adam i believe it's pronounced croissant (laughs) (laughs) he does great physical acting here because he like especially with his head and his posture at any other time, in any other episode, uh, he, he walks upright and somewhat confident and, and with like a, a real motivation. But in yeah. this episode, he's deferential and embarrassed. Like a, he rolls his shoulders forward to kind of close off the front of his body. Yeah, and I really like the choices that he makes as an actor here. They're good. They are good. I've made all of these body movements <laughs> in yeah. my day. Right, even, even last week. Even that time we stood in your office and uh, looked at each other during, I was doing all of these things. <laughs> Hard to do them when you're sitting down, but you know when you're standing up, you can really throw yourself into the role. Yeah, my not giving you a chair for that recording session was really a gift. I'm I'm glad you've come around to recognizing <laughs> that. It was uh, it was weird that you went into the garage to see if a chair you thought you might have thrown away was still there. But I guess that was all part of the charade. We cut to Casa de Cisco, <laughs> where uh, where Jake and his father are talking about uh, the quality 
and not the quantity of a homework assignment that, that Jake has, has done. It's a Klingon yeah. opera-based assignment, and Jake wants to go out and party, but his dad is just not feeling that. I'm an ace of test, Dad, I promise. This isn't about tests, Jake. This is about learning. Yeah, Klingon opera is to 24th century students what algebra is to 21st century students. It's like, when am I ever going to use this, Dad? How many remixes of Meloda do you think there are? <laughs> yeah, that I I love the uh, the dubstep remix of it. Yeah, because because when the bass drops, it's fucking dope. That fucking Meloda drop, <laughs> epic. <laughs> oh man, if you can if you can line it up so that you're peeking on your gummy edibles <laughs> <laughs> when that when that drops, you're gonna have a fun night. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about was the way Cisco keeps his apartment lit. Hmm. Like we've seen a you bunch mean lit, of like cool and like like going off. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking happening in there, yeah. man. It's, it's lit. <laughs> it's a fucking party. Uh, <laughs> are you saying? Are you trying to say Cisco's apartment is all that? Yeah, and a bag of chips, Adam. A bag of chips. We've seen other people's apartments on this show. And they can be lit in a way that is normal. Cisco keeps his his spot like super, super loungy vibe. You know, like I, it kind of made me think like after after that episode with the ghost babe, is he getting into like being kind of more of a swinging bachelor? Is this is this a third date location kind of design choice? He's making dimmer decisions, that's for sure. Like like on the light switch dimmer, he's he's maybe rolling that up a quarter of the distance. Yeah. And that's a good setting. You keep your dimmer on the quarter. Yeah. That's some that's some nice atmosphere, especially if you're a swinging bachelor. Jake Jake knew that his dad was uh was ready to get back into the game when he put rheostats in all the rooms. I did not flip a coin to be uh, positive this up, but I'm going to give a special commendation to Avery Brooks in this scene because uh, he is hyper-expressive and emoting like hell with Jake. Like, all the scene is on paper is convincing your son that he should study harder. Right. But Avery Brooks goes a 1,000%. He goes 11 out of 10 with making the case to Jake here, and I I thought it was awesome. Avery Brooks is not in this episode very much, but he fucking smashes this scene. He's like reminding the producers why they hired him. Yeah, agreed. And, and he's he's not cartoonish either. Like he is. I shouldn't say eleven out of ten because that's not right. But he's like ten out of ten. Like all you yeah. want and nothing more. He he does. I mean, and it's also like there's a subtlety in having having this conversation with your son where you know why like like to you the logic of studying for the the test in a real way is very clear mm -hmm. but that's like impossible to express in a way that a a teen is gonna digest and understand deeply and both characters really sell that you know yeah like like you really see it from both of their perspectives and it's like it's Kind of a throwaway. I mean, it's like as much of a we're never going to find out about the guy in the hockey pucks issue. Yeah, like, I was just going to say that. Like another thread cast out into the world. Yes, but uh, 
yeah is this the is this the e storyline or nothing yeah. <laughs> you know but but it is uh it's a it's a great little you know this is this is how a father and son kind of interact sometimes ideally yeah yeah i mean this episode is very much about its a story the a story being that dr mora believes that he's found planet bucket <laughs> and uh and he would like to take odo there and he'd like a a runabout to do it yeah so i guess odo puts in the request and you know he's saying that this is like something that Bajoran science probes picked out they look through the telescope and it's just <laughs> it's just like a home depot orange <laughs> <laughs> orange bucket dr mora thinks he may have discovered the origin of my people yeah well it's it's that and then you know traces of odo like dna so right. so that's pretty exciting cuz they could uh like it's it's a pretty funny smash cut too cuz Odo is like like rolling this out and it just smash cuts to wormhole opening runabout <laughs> coming through. <laughs> yeah, the way that they choose where to be efficient and where not to be in the story is great. Yeah, what did what did Cisco decide? Oh, pretty clear. David Carson directed this ep speaking of of pacing and direction and uh, this is the last episode of Trek he did before doing Generations. Whoa. So he's that guy. He probably had his mind on something else as he was directing <laughs> this episode. They head to this planet and it's like they got a little gang together. They've got uh they've got uh Doctor <laughs> Doctor Weld. <laughs> they've got Doctor Weld, they've got Doctor Mora, they've got Odo, and they've got Dax, the uh local science expert. And so um, they're gonna they're gonna beam down to this planet and Did see you what they can find. Did you have a bad feeling about Doctor Weld? <laughs> I like, had a bad uh, feeling about him from the start. Like the, he's uh, he's always in frame, and he's not doing anything. There's one scene where he's in frame and he sort of regards the doctor, but he makes no facial expression or nod at all. He's just listening. It's weird because like any other episode of trek a character like this would be a total red shirt like yep. he's there to be killed when they yeah. beam down to the planet yeah and that doesn't really happen for him but one thing i thought about was like this should be a much bigger expedition than four people in a in a winnebago you know right. like this should be like holy shit, like, what is this planet? Let's send a starship and a bunch of scientists and stay there for months and study the shit out of it. And yeah. instead it is like, uh, hey, can we borrow a truck and go look into this? That'd be great, thanks. Yeah, the scope of the response is a little strange. And it, to me, the headcanon was maybe this doctor isn't super respected. Like, maybe he's a little bit of a quack. And yeah. just because he says Planet Bucket's out there, maybe his word isn't enough to get the resources necessary uh, if it actually were. So so Dr. Weld is just one of his weird sycophantic hangers-on? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's a different brand of doctor than we normally get on this show, that's for sure. Yeah, usually these guys, these older scientist guys always have a, a young wife, right? Right, yeah. Instead, it's expressionless dr weld (laughs) 
So they beam down, and they're in, like, these ruins. And this is actually, like, a pretty, like, kind of a step up for outdoor sets in yeah. Trek, I would say. Like, the, the it's backdrop. Tall. Yeah, it's very tall, and the backdrop is actually, like, kind of believable as, like, the mountains, like, the misty mountains in the distance. Yeah. And they uh, are walking around. They're, they're in, like, ruins, and they find a kind of an obelisk in the middle of the ruins that they speculate must have been important for some reason. And they decide, oh, well, we'll just uh, we'll steal this uh, artifact <laughs> and take it back, back home with us because it's obviously important. This is, uh, this is the first of a couple of what I feel like are fairly direct callbacks to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ben, when you beam an object off of a planet, I think you need to replace it with a, a bag, bag of, of sand, sand. Of, of commensurate weight. And that was their fatal flaw here, because as soon as mm. they beam this thing off, bangers get dropped on them uh, in a big time way. And poor Dr. Weld uh, is the first to fall. So was the planet reacting badly to having its monument stolen? Is I that absolutely your believe that, yeah. And I, I think like, it's so dumb that they didn't replace it. It seems like uh, causation. Oh, fuck, put it back, put it back. <laughs> it felt like causation versus correlation easily. Well, yeah, and it it was like weird and uncommented on. Yeah. They didn't go like, whoa, the planet didn't like that. They didn't, <laughs> <laughs> like, like nobody said anything. So I was like, oh, did they say something on their way about the planet being <laughs> unstate, like, because there is something about how he doesn't want to wait six weeks to get permission from the Bajoran government. That's why he's calling in a favor to Cisco. But, like, the timeline being tight would have made this make more sense, I think. Right, like, right. They, be, they beam down, like, they just want to get a sense of the place because they know this planet is scheduled to come apart in space because of some, you know, tectonic thing that is happening on it right right so i don't i don't know if that's like one of those things that got like taken out in a script draft and they're just like well i guess uh i guess we forgot to get that part when we shot oh well (laughs) yeah it's a little bit of a hole i think what helps this scene is that they're they're thrown into such an emergency so quickly and it's life-threatening so fast that you're all of us you're you're triaging the life-threatening problem instead of the other problem like because the because yeah. the planet in addition to the bangers it's dropping has released a gas and that is that has taken everyone down except for odo yeah and the other uh before before this gas comes out they collect a sample of kind of like whatever a potted plant is to me this thing is to odo it's a uh, some kind of matter that moves around and is Odo-like, but not another shapeshifter. Odo reads as more liquid to me than this stuff. This stuff read to me as like the Wooly Willy game, <laughs> yeah. like where you take the, the the filings and the magnet and you draw the the mustache or or the hair. Well, that's definitely figure. how they got the effect. But I, yeah, the you know in in universe it's supposed to be very similar. But so like they've beamed up this uh, this monument and the planet's pissed. And gas is coming out of the ground. And I guess the runabout needs a while to, like, reset its transporter system from beaming up the the monument. So they actually all get exposed to this gas. And Odo does not seem to be as badly affected by it as the vertebrates in the group. Right. Odo saves the day, though. He saves the day, and we wake up in 
the infirmary where Bashir has put like oxygen masks on everybody and uh you know he scans Odo and he's like yeah you seem fine but they're uh you know, they've got some, some bad shit in their lungs and it's going to be a little while before they recover. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale, a fucking pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. Oh, I don't use the bucket anymore. They get the filings into a lab, though, and they've started doing an examination on those. Yeah, they put the examination in the capable hands of noted genius of science, Miles O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. He's the best of what's left. <laughs> In terms of uh, of science doers at this point. O'Brien, like, he's scanned this monument. There's symbols all over it, but the computer can't make heads or tails of it. And uh, he he's, like, turned over, a, like, a popcorn bowl. Uh, over top of the uh, of the sample, which has expanded in size somewhat, and he's like, "Yeah, like this thing is really nuts about dividing, and it keeps ch- kind of changing what it is. It's metamorphosing. So, you know what it what it scans as is different from one moment to the next. Somehow, it goes through a metamorphosis every time it reproduces, and it reproduces like crazy. A lot like that one alien race was speaking in a different language, and the computer couldn't quite resolve it." The computer can't resolve what this, what this being is either because it keeps changing so quickly. Which is the first thing that is planted that will actually factor in later on. Yeah. I mean, we got to pay off something at some point, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's the rules. Lead writer walks into the room with like 14 balls of yarn and just like unspools them in the middle of the table and it's like, <laughs> fix it. And then leaves. This. This, this is what the next episode looks like. <laughs> the next day, there's been a gooey jailbreak, Ben, because this thing has gotten out of the popcorn bowl and appears to have left through a air vent, as, as any escapee would. And, uh, and there's sort of a, a manhunt for, for this thing. There's like the scene where, where Cisco is like, is like asleep in bed and he gets, he gets a, a phone call that he needs to go down to the lab to see the, you know, the scene of the crime or whatever. Yeah. And, and this scene made me really wonder like what it would look like if Odo got a call while he was sleeping. Like, <laughs> does he get all the way out of the bucket or does just like Odo head and Odo arm come out of the bucket and go like, <laughs> hello, <laughs> Odo speaking. Is the bucket on top of a bed? <laughs> I prefer a Casper mattress. It's a combination of latex foam and memory foam. He watches that commercial of like the bowling ball and the glass of wine, and he's like, <laughs> no one's going to spill my buckets if I get a Casper mattress. <laughs> Even if I have a lady friend over, this bucket's not tipping. <laughs> yeah, more Odo, please. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, this crime scene has another weird thing where Dax shows up to, like, help look around and, and Cisco's like, are you supposed to be up? Because, like, last we saw you were unconscious in bed with a gas mask on because of bad stuff you inhaled on an alien planet. And she's like, yeah, well, Dr. Bashir didn't want me to leave. He hid my clothes so I couldn't get away. Ooh, that's not a I think that's season one Bashir right there. Yeah, like season one Bashir is making a little cameo in this episode. Mm, That's not great. Not good. 
But also, like, Dax is acting super weird, and I was like, oh, they brought back this shapeshifter, and it has taken the form of Dax, and she's going to be evil now. Yeah. Like, yeah. they definitely did... Do you think there was an intentional head faint, or is that me, like, trying to apply Star Trek logic to a weird episode that doesn't have much in it? No, I feel like there was something going on there, too, and it might have been uh, a versioning issue with the story, where where this might have been paid off in a different oh, version yeah. of what we got. They shot these scenes from the blue version of the script, but then they were on to the goldenrod version Yeah. by the time they finished. Yeah, this this material that they brought back is missing, and... O'Brien's got to like crawl around in the Jeffrey's tubes looking for it. He he winds up finding some goo, which uh, <laughs> he really... br- he brings a black light to the Jeffrey's tube. <laughs> <laughs> this is fucking incredible. <laughs> this is fucking disgusting. <laughs> yeah, he really should be wearing gloves uh, for reasons that will be paid off later. <laughs> Miles, use a gym sock. Yeah, gross. You run into my wife, don't mention I did this. <laughs> O'Brien finds the goo and posits that it might be the thing and the thing might be dead. Except it isn't a life form anymore, it's dead. You very rarely get practical goo in Star Trek and specifically in yeah. Deep Space Nine. I, it was really fun to see this. Yeah, but I think it might have been a little bit of a mistake because they do so much with digital goo in this yep. episode that is so bad that like seeing Agreed. real goo kind of kind of breaks the spell of that a little bit. There are Armas style special effects to this goo that I thought were were buried in the past. And yeah. Unfortunately are back in a big, big way. It's weird and unfortunate. Yeah. This goo starts attacking, like uh Bashir is like pulling a, an all-nighter when when uh you know and and they I think they were at least self-aware enough about how bad this effect was that they did all of the attacks in very dark rooms so it could just be mainly kind of a black blob moving around. Yeah. But uh yeah, so Bashir pulling an all-nighter and the and the blob comes in and Bashir manages to scare it away with a laser pen. There's a continuity thing here that it would have been so easy to do that they chose not to. Bashir is is choked by a tentacle and then thrown across a room by his neck. Yeah, and yet he is I was totally, jacking off to it. He is totally some of the hottest hentai I've ever seen. He's totally unbruised. Like why yeah. are why don't you throw a little bruise makeup on there? Yeah, beat the doctor up for once. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I wanted to see some pain visited upon him after that uh, after that hide the clothes trick. Totally unprofessional thing he did to his colleague. He should be censured for that. I'm going to write a letter to Starfleet Medical, I think. Running a pretty loose ship there, Cisco. <laughs> but so, like, this investigation is going, and Odo's daddy is kind of back up on his feet, and they're starting to get along a little bit better. Like, the... You know, Odo has been really resisting the comparison of Dr. Mora to being a father figure to him. But it is, I mean, but that's like his his stated resistance. Like in practice, Dr. Mora is a father figure for Odo and Odo has father figure issues. <laughs> I know? think 
I think it's easy to have father figure issues when your father acts like this, though. Like, how much of this is on Odo and how much of this is on Dr. Paul? No, I, I totally agree. I mean, he's very, like, self-centered and kind of doesn't doesn't really care about what's good for Odo. He's very condescending. And, uh, and yet, like, here toward the back half of the episode, they're starting to get along a little bit more. And, like, Mora's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, I was uh i was thinking that your job is not terribly unlike my job you know like doing an investigation is a lot like the scientific method the conflict that comes to a head i think is served well by these scenes because you know as you see them growing closer uh there's a moment that comes not long after where mora confronts odo about his theory that the monster that bashir fought was in fact odo himself yeah and when you have that kind of argument so soon after a reconciliation, it, it came really out of nowhere for me. It was very surprising to hear this theory postulated and then to have it have the effect that it does on Odo, which is to, like, it was almost like when they started yelling at the slime in Ghostbusters 2, like, he gets, <laughs> his his volume gets louder, his arguments become more pronounced, Paul, like, sort of leans into Odo and, like, withers him verbally, and it starts yeah. making Odo sweat and turn red, and and he turns into into the goo monster that he's been accused of being. Yes, and, and it's like... It's, uh, it's really intense. Like, there's, like, wharf lightning on the panel he's touching, and it becomes clear that there's like a kind of Jekyll and Hyde situation happening with Odo. Like he's, there's a, a second evil thing at work within him that he is unaware of and not in control of. It sort of happens off screen, but, but the doctor flees and Odo is on the loose. Odo as goo monster is on the loose. And so it's up to those in ops to come up with a way to triage the situation because Obviously, this is a very dangerous situation. So they they evacuate the promenade. Yeah, they uh, they evacuate the promenade, and they basically set up like a sting where they use Doctor Mora as the bait because he's figured out that every time the the monster attacks, it's something Mora adjacent that's going on. So they trap the uh, the super bad CGI goo monster in a force field. And there's this moment of recognition in Mora where he realizes that this, like imprisoning Odo against his will is a thing that he's done more than once. Dear God, what have I done? Morn, morn, morn. Dear sweet morn, morn, morn. You need everybody? Morn, stop. Hammer time. The complexity of what's happening to... Dr. Paul is really interesting to me. Like he wants to be closer to to both the experiment that gave his professional life meaning. He wants to feel near to someone that he he feels as as sort of a child to him. He feels entitled to Odo's allegiance and partnership in a weird way, and that's like the yeah. negative part of his personality that I don't like so much. But then there's also like the guilt of confronting the entrapment of Odo that he sees basically face to face. The thing that doesn't make sense to me at all, and I rewatched the scene a couple of times, Ben, is like, so Goo Monster version Odo is trapped between, like sandwiched between uh, two force fields. 
Why does Cisco drop the containment field? At no point did it seem like the monster was going to become less monstrous. Yeah, it seems like a weird, like maybe a miscommunication between the effects department and the and the director or something. Because yeah, yeah, it like the doctor is still right there, like right next to him. I thought as soon as the shield came down, he was going to eat him. Right, or like, yeah, because what what happens is like, oh, so they could have just done that for like one second, and it would have done the same thing. Like, yeah, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, what happens is they drop the containment field. Uh, the the humanoid version of Odo falls into, uh, like, slumps into the doctor's arms. And uh, the doctor and Odo, in in a scene in Six Bay later, like, like they, they do a scan on Odo. They're able to remove the organism from him. Right. And, uh, Which Mora, is a very convenient, like, hey, we solved the problem. <laughs> that happened so fast. Real real story whiplash here. Uh, yeah. But they had to do it fast because we need to have the scene of the detente between Mora and Odo, in which they arrive at uh, not even an uneasy friendship, but like an actual friendship, a professional friendship even. Yeah. Uh, where Mora promises to return one day. Yeah, and like be a presence in Odo's life in a way that isn't, the entitled asshole that he's been up to this point in a way that Odo welcomes, which is, I think the, the, the important part, like it, it, it really matters far less what Paul wants and it matters far more what Odo is into. And Odo seems amenable to this. Yeah. Did you like the episode though, Ben? Uh, I kind of did. Yeah. I, uh, I feel like I vaguely remembered this one and vaguely didn't like it from before so i was kind of surprised to find myself uh drawn into it and and enjoying it i mean it is a very interesting conflict between these characters and it really dimensionalizes odo in an interesting way you know like his character like when i look at that hair now and i think of the fact that he modeled it off this scientist that he became aware of himself in the presence of that's so interesting they thought about uh having renee abergenois play that role too like to do the dr sung thing oh wow and they they decided ultimately that the odo makeup was so time consuming that it would have doubled the production time to make the ep and they they just got schedule boxed in they couldn't do it so but i'm glad they cast uh james sloyan because like he was a strength of the ep totally and it's a little cute like to do the sung thing all over again to reheat the sung i think is uh yeah you don't, don't want to a warmed over sung yeah i like uh, the episode too um i think it's interesting like it's easier for me to think of the episode in comparison to the things that it that it bites like uh there's totally like Dr. Pohl opens the arc at Odo in his office and like <laughs> melts him. And that was yeah. fun. That was like the second Indiana Jones thing. Yeah. And they also uh, did not learn the lessons from the alien movie, which is like scary equals not showing the alien or the yeah. threat. And I think what happened here is they just showed too much of the threat in a way that, uh, that kneecapped a lot of the tension. So I, I think I would have preferred less of that, but uh, a fun experiment, and it's always enjoyable for me to know more about uh, Odo's history and where it came from. Well, uh, 
You want to see if we have any Priority One messages at this point in the show, Adam? Let's get to it. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental. 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 Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here, and our first one is from your favorite Whittle sister, and it is to my dearest big brother. Goes like this. Happy birthday, bro, and thanks for introducing me to this great pod. I love sharing TNG and DS9 with you. It's been a blast rewatching them and listening to TGG. Thanks, Adam and Ben, for the fun. Aw. Hey, you're welcome, brother and sister. Yeah. We get a lot of, I feel like a lot of P1s are one person thanking another person for introducing them to our stupid show. So (laughs) to anyone out there who has made that kind of introduction, uh, that's a a great way to grow our audience and it's totally appreciated. Yeah. You know, offline, we've talked a little bit about how like there have been a couple of times where we had a real stair step of listenership where... It was like, oh, like this week it is different from what it was last week. And I think in like the last 12 months, we really haven't had any noticeable stair step like that. But our audience grew a lot. And uh, I think that has to just be word of mouth. So, you know, anybody that is out there recommending the show to somebody that they think would enjoy it, we really appreciate that because it has... When we started this, we never thought it would be central to our lives, but it has really become one of the one of the things that we think about most of the time, and that's because we we can afford to do that because of you guys. Right, exactly. So thanks for that. Ben, our second priority one message is from Scott, the Windows Systems Engineer. It is for Matt, the Mac Systems Engineer. The message goes like this. Your Mac computers are used exclusively for dicking around and contribute nothing to the company we work for. But what your theory (laughs) and career presupposes is that maybe they do? Thanks for reaching across platform lines to introduce me to the greatest generation, a thing in my life that I really enjoy and love. (laughs) And in parentheses, it says Cosby talks about computers. (laughs) I didn't even know Windows could receive podcasts, Rudy. (laughs) The sort of viruses that my computer has are not transmittable to the user. (laughs) John McAfee is a dear friend and a trusted confidant, Theo. Yeah, Ben, another uh, another person introducing the show to another person. And we thank uh, Scott and Matt and their... Uh, I- I'll let you know that uh, that I'm definitely on Team Mac. Mac is how this show gets made. Yeah, that's true. So if anyone out there uh, at Apple is listening to this show... Yeah, and wants to throw us a sweet sponsorship. Sponsorship or some tech to try out. Yeah. Or maybe our thoughts on the podcast app. Uh, yeah. I'd share those. I'd, I'd share those <laughs> for <with> money. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Matt, Scott, brother and sister, for your priority one messages. If you'd like to send messages of your own to our greater viewership, you can go to maximumfun.org/jumbotron, where personal messages are one hundred dollars and commercial messages are two hundred dollars. Just like telling a friend about the show, they're a great, great way to support the ongoing production of it. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. Am I right? Ah, ah. Yeah. Am I, am I right? Ah, ah. 
One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Ben, I'm going to give my Shimoda to Benjamin Sisko for that scene he has with Jake. 
Yeah. I was just, I was so impressed by that with how much he was able to do with so little time. I think that is in the spirit of a Jim Shimoda as well, a character not in that episode very much, but yeah. who, who, who lifted some fucking weight like a Jim Shimoda would and, uh, and, and carries a lot of it. So my Shimoda is going to go to Ben Sisko. What about you? Um, this is kind of a weird Shimoda <laughs> and, uh, I'm not quite sure how how it fits into the Colin Dinsmore table, mm-hmm. but I'll leave that to Colin. This is kind of a missed opportunity, Shimoda. Uh-huh. That scene where they're uh, where they're staking out the evil Odo Blob at the end, where they've you know they've evacuated the promenade and the lights are down. Uh, they they've brought a lot of armed security personnel out there to uh, to help, and there's a shot. Uh, where, and it's a it's an a composition that we've seen before, but used for a different thing. Where the camera is kind of up in the air, looking at the at the second level, and there are a bunch of security people like crouching right where Jake and Nog usually sit with guns. Yeah, and I like it's not the show it wouldn't make any sense but like as the camera panned over i just expected for jake and nog to be sitting there <laughs> that scene that composition stuck out to me too because they've done that exact shot before so I, I i just laughed at the idea of what if the camera kept panning and there were jake and nog just sitting like scoping babes like <laughs> not like there's no security issue happening right now that security chick with the phaser rifle looks kind of hot <laughs> Jake's like, I've, I've been on two dates with her. I'm looking to close the deal, even though I'm 14 and she's 26. <laughs> Better get home to that Klingon opera homework. <laughs> yeah, that's a good Shimoda, Ben. What do we have coming up on the next episode? Well, Adam, I'm so glad you asked. The next episode is season t- two, episode 13, Armageddon Game. Bashir and O'Brien work to rip two alien races of Look, work to rid two alien races of deadly weapons, unaware that their hosts intend to sacrifice them as a part of the peace process. <laughs> I'm predicting an episode where we use a lot of Def Leppard's Armageddon it. <laughs> the Netflix description is... Only Bashiro- Bill Tilly would get that reference. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I think Stu, Stu from the Flophouse had a Def Leppard podcast for a while. Oh. Maybe still does. Okay. You have my attention. The uh, the Netflix description is Bashir and O'Brien travel to a lab orbiting Talani 3 in an effort to eliminate the Harvesters, a deadly biomechanical weapon. The Harvesters. Yeah. Well, that so, sounds exciting. Yeah. I like a I like a scary weapon. Yeah. Give me more scary weapons. I mean, this in this distant future, it seems like there would be more doomsday devices. Right. Yeah. It'd be more hard to we get, stop certainly. people from developing them. Yeah. Well, uh, we have that coming up. We need to we need to figure out how we're going to watch it. Yeah, we sure do, Adam. Let me pull open the game of buttholes, the will of the prophets. And uh, once you do, you'll find we're on square 35, Ben. We could potentially... Get ourselves into trouble here if we roll a one. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Oh, man. I've rolled a six. Chula! 
Did I win? Hardly. That takes us all the way to square 41. And right. uh, out of range of a quirks bar this time. I suppose we could get it next time. Yeah. Theoretically. With a but five roll, we would hit that other one. When we launched this game, people were like, oh, you're going to be drunk like most of the time. Mm-hmm. That has not really turned out to be the case. No, and I think that's good. I think We uh, hit a Coco No-No once, right? Did we we, hit, yeah, we did that. Yeah. If we wanted to have a drinking Star Trek, Trek podcast, that's the show we would have made from the start. We just want to drink sometimes and in a way where we can't predict it so that if we make plans, we can potentially really fuck them up. I just want to drink and watch Star Trek with my friend. (laughs) Sometimes. Well, uh, that'll be the next episode. I am looking forward to it, Adam. Where can the people talk about this episode and any other considerations, greatest gen-wise, on the internet? Uh, We've got a Facebook group and a page. Uh... Those those Facebook pages, uh, the Facebook group has event pages also with our with our tour dates, and people are already coming together and discussing uh, pre and post show hangs. Uh, if you've never met another greatest gen viewer, uh, these live shows are a great time to do so. And uh, everyone that we've met from the Facebook page and group have been uh, just a delight. So. Uh, I would encourage you, if you enjoy the show, to go hang out over there. It's one of the good places on the internet that's not a not a total shithole. Yeah. Uh, there's also the Greatest Gen hashtag on Twitter. We've got a very lively and fun Reddit community. Vivacious. Like Slack. Uh, Greatest Gen Slack. There's a... I think there's even a Friends of DeSoto web forum now. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there's just all kinds of stuff happening out there. If you've got uh, Apple Podcasts and you'd like to get the word out about the show, leave us a nice review. Go over there and leave us a five-star review. That really helps us uh, rise in the algorithm game. And uh, we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusia, who has remade Dark Materia's theme music in <laughs> Deep Space Nine's image. Yeah, pretty great. Maximum gratitude to all those folks. Indeed. And uh, the maximumist gratitude to the folks that go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and support the show on a monthly basis with their hard-earned ducats. That's right. Make sure we can eat on tour. (laughs) With that, we will be back at you next time with another great, great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and another episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. Uh, That sounds like... uh, it may be in danger of being crushed under a space combine. <laughs> Is that what we're talking about? That's the thing I have in my head when I think of harvesters. Of the, of the harvester. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.